Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 201, I welcome back one of my favorite guests of all time, Dr. Vanessa Lapointe. Dr. Vanessa is the author of two parenting books, Parenting Right From The Start and Discipline Without Damage. We have an incredible conversation about parenting, some of the challenges that are faced by being parents, particularly in this modern world with technology and and social media. We talk about the importance of placing connection at the heart of parenting. I also ask what it means to be a good father. It's an incredible conversation. I hope that it really inspires the heart of your parenting. I know that there's something in this conversation that has the power to leave you better for the ones that need you, the ones that call you mum or dad. And I hope that you will share it with a, a fellow parent to give them that gift of inspiration too. Here we go, episode 201 with Dr. Vanessa Lapointe. Dr. Vanessa, welcome back to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you? I'm doing brilliant. And thank you for having me back two years where has that time gone and I I believe that you have got married since we last spoke to the catch of the western hemisphere come on right (laughs) (laughs) that's right how have you been I've I've been great it's um it's been you know a very full couple of years actually with uh the nuptials and also just with life as it is and all of the things happening on this wonderful planet that we call home <laughs> right and um it's a couple of weeks ago I was very fortunate enough to interview Dr Gordon Newfeld, and um that conversation was a bit like therapy for me like I found myself going through like dear father like almost like a, co- a, a confessional and I'm going to try not to do that so much today <laughs> you confess <laughs> confess all my parenting sins but naturally that's that's kind of where I go I, I'm, I'm very real my audience know that uh, I'm, I'm a I'm a flawed human being simply trying my best on along this journey um but let's talk about your your most recent book, Parenting Right from the Start. I, I love this idea of parenting right from the start, but it almost implies that there's a wrong way. And I'd love to just start there. Like, what are some of the the reasons that, uh, or some of the ways we are parenting the wrong way? Well, you know what? It's such an inch. I love that you've asked this question. So when um, we were deciding on the title of the book, Um, there's two ways that that title can be filtered depending on perception. One is parenting right from the start, or the second is parenting right Right. from the start. (laughs) And so I didn't realize that it was going to be this total like subconscious mind play and people's responses to the title would Mm. reveal some of the programming within. The truth is we all run an... I did it wrong or I'm doing it wrong kind of program. And so you and I and um, pretty much everybody reads that book title as parenting right from the Correct. start. Correct, yes. to parenting right from the start. And that reveals, I think, one of the um, major flaws that we come up against in how we parent, that we believe there's a right and a wrong way, 
that we outsource a lot of that information to other powers that be, uh, be those parenting educators like myself or the preschool teacher or the neighbor or the in-law. Um, and when we um, surrender our swagger as parents that way, our kids um, eat it. It's our kids that suffer because our kids are just looking around now more than ever and wanting to have their eyes land mm -hmm. on big people who kind of have it going on mm -hmm. so that they can trust them. Why is trust important? The You have spoken with Gordon Neufeld, and so you'll know a little mm -hmm. bit about um, how he speaks about uh, parenting. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love so much about Gordon's work is he talks about the concept of right relationship. Mm. So we're as parents um, and our children, we're all in relationship, but is the relationship right relationship? Yeah. And the idea about trust is that the parent is this stable backbone and the child in order to be surrendered to the process of growth and development must be able to rest mm. into the care of the big person. And so if the child goes to lean in, because that's their stance. They have to be at rest in order mm -hmm. to grow. Mm -hmm. And they cannot trust that the big person is there. The big person is steady and solid and stable and available and all those kinds of things. Then the child is going to, mm -hmm. and the connection will be broken. And that's when we have a Hulk child on our hands. And that child will be impossible to guide. Yeah. You will not be able to parent because you have no context from which to begin that journey. Hey, my friends, I hope you're enjoying the interview so far. Just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know that we are in the middle of our first cohort of Good Fathers, a six-week group coaching program for dads. It is my heart to create a space for these good men, to leave them better for those who call them dads. We're having some intentional purposeful conversations that I can see the men in front of me are transforming in front of my eyes. They are having conversations that they've never had with anyone else and it is powerful and it is going to help them be much more loving and intentional fathers, intentional partners. And because I have such undying belief in the power of this group, I am bringing about a second cohort starting on Monday the 9th of January 2023. We're going to kick off with cohort two. If you are a dad that wants to be even better for those who call you dad, then head over to the website abty.co.uk forward slash goodfathers. The link is in the show notes. Have a look and it'd be my honour and privilege to have you come and join us and other good men from around the world as we journey in what it means to be a good father. Here we go back to the interview yeah that's fascinating isn't it and, and i think you know the the masculine trait you know is one of fixing and emotions aren't there to be fixed and you know i've just stepped out of my comfort zone in the last month to to run a, a dad's group not, not professing to be a, a dad an expert in in fatherhood or parenting but i have a heart for wanting to create a space for good men to journey and what does it mean to be a good father and this is paradox, isn't it? You know, men are good problem solvers. They're good fixers. And yet emotions aren't one to be fixed. One of the, yeah, right. One of the concepts that we've journeyed on at the very start of, of our conversations is that 
um you know before we came became fathers we were first sons why might that be something that's important for for new fathers to to journey in what that that story about you know their own um upbringing and being a son first Ryan you're so good that's like that's that question is at the epicenter of what it means to grow into yourself as a parent and so when we become parents especially first time around but all the times around we often feel like ah i've never done this before i don't know how to do this i don't know what it is to be a parent the thing is in in the book parenting right from the start one of the early concepts that i land on is that every single one of us have been in a parent and child relationship before back when we were the child and in that relationship our most formative relationship we onboard a template or a blueprint for how we are going to do relationship yeah. and especially how we're going to do intimate relationships mm-hmm. and i mean emotionally intimate relationships so those will be the relationships that you have with your um, significant other your partner um, relationships with other family members and of course one day when you become a father the relationship that you have with your children mm-hmm. so whether you know it or not some of it might be conscious most of it will be subconscious you onboarded that programming back when you were a child, when you were a son, Mm -hmm. when you first existed in a parent-child relationship, Mm -hmm. and you bring that programming forward to present day. Mm -hmm. And you might have the thought, you know, I don't really love how my parents did it. I'm going to do it different. Or you might have this thought, my dad was real hard on me. I'm not going to do that to my kids. And we all swear up and down that we are going to change it. And many of us do improve upon it. Mm. And then when you get triggered or you're in a wound for some reason, all of a sudden you're going to hear your father coming out your mouth (laughs) and you're going to be like, wait, what What was that happening? (laughs) I swore I was going to do better. Mm. And that's where the dance begins. That's Mm. where the invitation for growth begins. And that's where our children end up giving us this incredible gift to grow ourselves alongside growing them. Mm. Men love a good tool. Men live a, a practical resource. And take us back to that that example of just the meltdown. You know, my, my daughter, she's seven. She had an absolute meltdown earlier in the week because I said no cupcakes after tea. Like literally end of the end of the earth kind of like we had sobbing honestly it was an emotional experience right again this was you know and if i'm trying to like i'm not trying to justify myself if i'm looking at your content it wasn't a a is a negative consequence it was a boundary there was too much sweet treats consumed that day right yeah but uh yeah it was an emotional experience and i guess how can the um the see it feel it be it model be applied to a situation like that yeah so with see it feel it be it what we want is to really understand the child for who they are in that moment not for how they're behaving Mm. 
And so we want to get behind the cupcake meltdown into the inner workings of the child. And who knows? I mean, it could be a million things. It could be that she just needs the wave of disappointment to come through. Maybe that wave of disappointment is representative not only of the cupcakes, but of the like 300 other disappointments that she's had this week that she hasn't been able to kind of work out. You know, who knows? Maybe she's just really tired. Maybe she's had too much sugar and she can't hang on to herself anymore. Whatever it is, there's a real reason inside there. And that reason has led to this lid flipped kind of state where she's, you know, emoting these big emotions. Our job then, once we have felt that for her, her, here's the tool for all you dads out there. Once we feel that for her, we get to step in and be for her what it is that she needs. So we have this gorgeous um, child, seven years of age, who's having the mother of all meltdowns. Mm. And what she needs then is for us not to jump into the meltdown with her, but to bear safe witness to the meltdown, Mm. to hold space for the meltdown, and to give her an opportunity from our adult brain, we walk over the relationship bridge into her seven-year-old brain and we co-regulate her. Mm. And what you're doing in that moment is not letting her get away with it. (laughs) Rather, what you're doing in that moment is you are sculpting neurological architecture that will eventually allow for her Mm. to be able to hold on to her emotional self when dad says, no more cupcakes after tea. Yeah, and the use, you, I'm going to pick up on your words, you said co-regulate, and there's a, an underlying assumption there that the adult is there, reg- regulated themselves already. And, you know, many of these conversations I'm having with these men, they're very busy. They they maybe have just got in through the door, through the work, and, and you know, they're, they're not, they're, they're probably going to miss the cues to see because they're in their head, they're thinking about the task list that they've probably not finished or what they've got to do tomorrow. And and there's a real kind of um, there's a real pull away from the home. There's a real pull away from the being present in that very moment. There's a there's a huge desire to want to be, yeah, but there isn't. And I, and I guess where do and I know that you you talk about working with parents more so than you do with children because they are the master key. They're the ones that are going to set the environment. They're going to set the context. How does you know a a, a parent who wants to be the best parent start to regulate themselves, start to gain that awareness so that they can be uh, who their child needs them to be. Yeah, so there's, you know, so many layers to that. And I think the biggest thing is to first recognize that that's the invitation. So many of us don't get that. We just think our kids need to fall into line now (laughs) in order to make life easier for us. Because we're out there and we're hitting the pavement and we're working and we're doing all the things. So like, get yourself sorted out. (laughs) Um, And I'm not saying just dads. I think that's true of all parents. When we can understand that that's not how it works, that that's not what child development's all about, and that that's not what our most sacred role Mm -hmm. in being a parent is all about. It's about showing up and being present for our children. Mm-hmm. There's this um, beautiful quote shared with me by my own counselor and mentor, Gila Golub, And the quote is, that which is to the greatest good of self mm-hmm. will be to the greatest good of all. Mm-hmm. And in this order, the mm-hmm. second part mm-hmm. 
the second part mm. is, and if I'm only for self, then who am I? So as parents, and especially as dads, and I love how you said that there's this pull, there's this pull away from home, which has been in operation, I think, for a really long time. And so it's very challenging to be uh, brushing up against those social constructs mm -hmm. and norms and finding yourself very present in the home. Yeah. The invitation, of course, is when we see who our children really are, that they're these like spongy little beings who don't need to perform and have all of the best things and have all of that. They simply need for us to show up from the outside and be regulated mm -hmm. so that we can regulate them. Then we really get the truth of what is to the greatest good of self is to the greatest good of all. So then the, the invitation that I would issue to all of the dads in the land and all the big people in the land is how are you showing up for yourself? Yeah. And, you know, we hear these fluffy ideas about self-care and mm -hmm, all these mm -hmm. other things. Um, that's not what it is to show up for yourself. Yep. Showing up for yourself means that you have heaps of grace mm -hmm. for that little five-year-old boy in you, that little six-year-old boy in you, the little two-year-old boy in you who's like freaking out right now because life feels chaotic and it's not settled you don't feel like you're doing a good job how are you being present for him yeah and when you can get connected and be present with self mm. from the first misty moments of the morning yeah to the very last quiet moments at bedtime when you can be connected to those parts of yourself you will recognize you are never upset for the reasons you think you're not upset because your kid out there is upset. You're mm. upset because the kid in here is upset. <laughs> and the reason that they're upset probably goes back 39 years. Yeah. So get connected to that. Heal that. Soothe that. Regulate that. Mm. And then grow forward from there. And in that kind of a mindset, you'll, you'll never have been so present in your life. Literally, the bird song will sound sweeter, the stars in the night sky will shine brighter, and you will feel um, more settled in the life that you're living. Mm, there's peace in that. Oh, don't we all just <laughs> want that? Yeah. I, you know, I've made peace with the fact that I, I might not make some of the mistakes that I've experienced, but I'll probably make my own. And I definitely yeah. will make my own, you know. Yeah. There's this beautiful um, author and Jungian analyst, James Hollis, who um, he's written several books. And one of my favorites is called The Eden Project. Mm -hmm. uh, the subtitle is In Search of the Magical Other. You know, the one who's going to like complete me and make my world go round. <laughs> and one of the things that he says in there, he says two things that I always hold on, on to. One of them is that all relationships is projection which means that we never see the other including our own children for who they really are we mm. see them for who we are it's through our filtered <laughs> perception that we mm. see them and in that sense all relationship is meant to serve the purpose of healing the mind not to serve the purpose of making us happy second to that mm. he says that 
all children, even Dr. Vanessa LaPointe's children. He didn't say that part. I added that. <laughs> all children who have suffered their greatest wounds mm. at the hands of their parents. Every single one. It's the nature of the relationship. And so we get to be at peace with that too. Mm. Knowing that that blowout that you had yesterday afternoon or the one that you can feel brewing in you right now, that it was meant to be exactly that way. It had to be exactly that way for you to understand that darkness and then know what it is to walk in light Mm. and for your children to get to witness the alchemy of that kind of a transformation in you as a parent. What? Uh, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. There's restoration in that for sure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. We um we, we're obviously journeying around the topic of what it means to be a good man. You know the purpose of, that we have in our homes, and one of the things I really enjoyed from our last conversation was this idea of never retiring. You know, really, a lot of my audience took that to heart. It was a, it's a really powerful concept when you let that really just sink into the heart, and so it doesn't really make this question make sense because i was going to say you know what is the end game of parenting because there is no end game because we never retire but for this kind of whilst they are children phase of parenting what what is the end game what are we trying to achieve through our parenting we need to surrender all form and all outcome (laughs) which means that when our children come to us when they are born into this lifetime. And I'm going to borrow a phrase from Dr. Shafali Sabari, mm-hmm. where she said they arrive in the world throbbing with their own signature. <laughs> they are not yours. Mm. They've been loaned to you. They've <laughs> been gifted to you to get to experience what it is to journey alongside them in this wow. lifetime. That infant that arrives into your home and into your lives, they are a whole and complete person already. Mm, what a gift. They are absolutely, and they're going to, of course, develop and grow and, and become all sorts of really interesting things. It is not your job to sculpt that. Hmm. It's your job to champion it. Mm. Um, who was it that said, I'm going to come up with the name, but it has to incubate for a moment. Um, was one of the great healers of our time. So great that I can't remember his name. And he talked about the idea that, you know, if a child is really struggling with reading at school, mm-hmm. he said, why would you get them a tutor? Because the other thing that you may maybe know about your child is that they love tennis lessons. Like they love tennis. Tennis is Mm. their, like tennis is their thing. Tennis is their passion. Don't go and get them a tutor, get them a tennis coach. Mm. That's our job is to champion the child for who it is that they are, not who it is that we think they should be, not who it is that we're fearful of them. Not because, you know, we, we let all of that cloud our judgment and get in the way of things. And our kids are on they're on a path. My husband talks about the idea of like, it's our job as parents to release the arrow. Mm. And from that point forward, 
Hmm. It's not up to us anymore. Yeah. Our kids get to fly in the way that they were meant. I think it was Jung that said that the greatest burden on a child is the unlived life of a parent. Yes. Been interpreted many ways, but it was definitely Jung. Yeah. That's that's powerful, isn't it? And, and uh, you know, I, I have uh, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, boy and girl. And um, what's really fascinated me is how living in the same home, they can both have such different characters, different different interests, different things that bring them alive, that capture their attention. That And, and, and I, along with my wife, have, have really seen it as our purpose to kind of nurture that, to provide as many opportunities as possible for them to use that gift and and, and, and share it with the world. Yeah. And really let them sing their own song. That's what they're they're here for. It's also interesting because, you know, cut from the same cloth and they can't be more unique from each other. My two boys mm-hmm. are the same. And the idea that no child grows up in the same family. Mm-hmm. It's it goes back to that expression, a man never dips his toe in the same river twice. Because the river will have changed and so will the man. And when a second child comes along, the whole dynamic shifts. Mm. And so you get to see sort of the the intersection of the systemic influence with the expression of self and who you're meant to be. And and you get to, again, rather than trying to sculpt it, come alongside and champion it. And like crazy, wonderful things can happen. Yeah, you're so right. Like I just reflect on myself as a, as a parent, my wife as a parent, second child round. The anxiety is kind of less because you know that they bounce, and you know they're you're not all fingers and thumbs when you're trying to change the di- the nappies, the diapers, and yeah, it's a totally different experience, isn't it? And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's fascinating. What do you think about the term currently being used around soft parenting? <laughs> <laughs> well, I get called that all the time. And like, I don't know if you've met me, but Vanessa don't play. Like there's <laughs> nothing soft about me if there needs to be some firmness about me yeah. um, with the resolute belief that firm is kind. Yes, uh, love tough. Absolutely. I think what it is is a couple of things. I think that there is this thought, you know, especially like I think back to, um, and you know, God bless my parents. <laughs> And they they did the best that they could in the time that they were parenting. I remember my mother bending me over her knee with my bare bottom exposed as she wound up with that wooden spoon to Mm. crack a couple on me because I needed to learn my lesson. And that was what she had been taught. She knew nothing different. Mm -hmm. Um, She also, by the way, watches all of the podcasts that I do. So she's probably (laughs) going to hear about this. Um, And so the idea is that If you think back even 50 years to present day, there has been such a huge shift in how we are kind of coaching people along in this world of parenting, that it has people's heads spinning a little bit. And in order to resolve their discomfort about that significant shift, they have to um, come up with an alternative story. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's soft parenting. So there's an immediate defense in order to poo-poo that and push it aside. Having said that, I don't think that they're all wrong, (laughs) which I realize is sort of a strange thing for somebody like me who's definitely in the realm of 
um, you know, attachment-based parenting, gentle mm-hmm. parenting, respectful parenting, soft parenting. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they're all wrong. And here's the reason why. I have long observed that there is this interesting seedy underbelly to gentle parenting, attachment parenting, everything mm-hmm. in that realm. And that seedy underbelly is that as parents, we tend to gravitate to that kind of parenting philosophy more quickly if we are sort of wounded bird kind of parents. Mm -hmm. And so as a cross-section, the world of gentle parents, people who are really ascribing to that philosophy, Mm. um, and there's some really interesting data and research around all of this, that world um, has an overrepresentation of people with a certain kind of attachment wound. That attachment right. wound then leads them to parent from fear, right. meaning they don't want to mess their kids up and they don't want to get it wrong and they don't want to do all of those things. And so they go the soft route. Mm. They go the route of having no boundaries of, um, I sometimes call mm-hmm. it flowery meadows parenting where we just like release them you know, to the flowery meadows to watch them blossom. Mm-hmm. And um, that's actually really bad for kids. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying for them. It doesn't allow for rest. It mm-hmm. doesn't allow for an experience of, um, I want to use the word containment, although I feel like it has a negative connotation. And I'm doing, you know, when you like like snuggle into a really squishy um, sofa and it's just like so gorgeous, that's the kind of experience that we want our children to have when they're mm. growing. And if we're not providing boundaries, it's like mm. we've taken the guardrails right off the bridge and our kids freak out. Mm. They need us to show up and be firm mm. when that is called for. Firm is kind. Yeah. And so I think there's some truth to the criticism of, you know, this whole yeah. parent thing. I think yeah, it might, might be a bit of an extreme example, but I, I heard someone, as you do on social media, someone was talking about the origins of narcissism coming through two types of parenting and both coming from extreme ends of the spectrum. One is like ultra shame driven, you know, um, abuse. And the other one being completely no boundary, kid gets away with absolutely everything, you know, abuse. and these. Yeah. Right? Abuse. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not like learning, like you say. John D. Martini, Dr. John D. Martini came on the show a couple of weeks ago and he and he said that you're gonna, um, all the big names are coming on this show. I feel like, how did I end up here, Ryan? Th- this <laughs> is what happens when you keep podcasting and you, you, you don't stop. Amazing. Well it's done. A, well, I'm honored to have great conversations with great people. And um, yeah, one of the things he says is that uh, that growth happens at the edge of uh, support and challenge. Mm-hmm. that in some way we need both to to really be able to grow yeah and um you know i think it comes down to the process of adaptation like as as beings we're meant to be adapting and and i talk about the idea that we have like um sort of our comfort zone and mm. then there's right around that the stretch zone and mm-hmm. then around the stretch zone there's the panic zone and our job for ourselves, but also for our children, is to, we we spend most of our time in our comfort zone. That's where we yeah. function. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we need to have little forays 
out into our stretch zone. So we can try it out for size and we can be challenged and we can develop a concept of self. Like I can do hard things and come out the other side, whether successful or not, I can come out the other side. Okay. Julie Lycott Haynes, I think is her name. Um, She was a a dean at Stanford um, and noticed that all of these first year students at Stanford Mm. University, Mm. which is like, it's like a big deal to be a Stanford student that these first year students were all showing up and they couldn't tie their own shoes. Oh, wow. And they had never like, I mean, I'm overstating it, but the idea was that they had parents that were helicoptering all the way along Mm. and taking care of everything and smoothing all the bumps in the road and doing all of the things so that the the kids would have perfect grades and perfect Mm. lives and perfect everything and go to the perfect school and become the perfect people. And then they get to uni and they have no idea what's going on. And they're all failing by the middle of first semester because they don't have that grit. They don't have the experience of having to stretch and figure yourself out a little Mm. bit. They don't have the capacity for adaptation, which is the precursor to resilience. Do you know what I got wrong? Um, I put helicopter parenting and dependence in the same box that in that in some way that actually I if I wanted to see my kids be more independent that I had to withdraw and and come back and almost allow them to go do that and one of the you know things talking to yourself talking to 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 Gordon is that the paradox of independence Mm -hmm. comes first through the gift of dependence Mm And, and we, we get that wrong all the time. We think that independence is a behavior, right? So like if my kid is carrying his own backpack into the classroom and changing his outdoor shoes to his indoor shoes all by himself and putting his water bottle on his desk and putting his lunch bag where it's meant to go and hanging his coat up and doing all the things, then he's independent. Mm -hmm. But independence isn't a behavior independence is uh, an experience. It's a state of mind. It's an understanding of self. And the only way that kids can grow that kind of thing is um, through safety, through rest, and through the experience Mm. of getting to deeply depend on a big person who themselves is magically independent. Yeah. 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 There's a story in uh, uh, Discipline Without Damage, which really kind of made me smile. It was when your son, Maxwell, gave you a punch on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us that story. Yeah, so I was um, a, a mother at that point of a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And as it happens to do here in my part of the world in sort of October going into November, the rain begins and it just doesn't stop for nine months. And it was a school holiday. And I thought as a mother, I cannot stay home in this house with these two children all the day long. We're all going to lose our minds. So I decided that I would take the boys to one of those um, like germy cesspool filthy places, (laughs) those indoor play places. Um, because that'll be fun. Yeah. So off we go to the play place. You sound like you miss it. Uh, <laughs> I was never good at that. That like put me out like on a mountainside doing a hike. I'm yeah. solid, but put me in a germy gross cesspool of an indoor <laughs> play place, and I'm not. I'm not good. 
So there we get. And um, my son, my older son had just started a new school at the time. And all the other mothers at the school, there was not a dad among them that day. All the other mothers at the school had the same idea. So they're all there with their children. I don't know these mothers from a hole in the ground. We were brand new at that school and they don't know me from a hole in the ground. And so they don't know that I'm a psychologist or any of those things. And they're all standing, you know, lined up in the mom tribe, drinking their lattes and watching their children run amok. And my youngest son, who is an orchid child, he is fiercely sensitive and incredibly magical and talented and um, humbles me every day. He's 15 now. And I love him. To <laughs> um, he Those play places were a lot for him. The yeah. auditory stimulation, all of the children, like it was a lot for him. So I knew I needed to be kind of watching him, um, even though I couldn't twist my body into all the nooks and crannies of the tunnels <laughs> that he was climbing through. And at some point in all of that, he comes flying down the center concourse towards me, his little blonde hair, like glued to his forehead with sweat his face all bright red from exertion and I can tell he is not okay mm. and in my uh, family we don't grow them delicate so even from very young my boys are both over six feet 230 pounds they are big solid stock kind of boys and they were like that when they were little so here's my little three-year-old he's flying at me and I'm like braced for impact I'm like crouched yeah. down my arms are out I'm like I can do this and he launches right into my arms and I'm thinking okay cool like I got you and we're right here so I start to back up to find a chair to sit down in with this giant child um and and thinking we're good but I had misread it and my son was just so that he wound up with a closed fist mm. and in front of the mom tribe punches me in the face. Mm. Now, his older brother, different story, once broke my nose <laughs> when he was a year and a half. He had jumped up when I was leaning over him and, and smashed into my face and I had um, broken nose. And so when my son punched me, it actually really hurt. Mm. It's like the kind of involuntary crying you do mm. and like nose snotty stuff when your broken nose gets re-cracked a little bit. Mm. So I'm like, whoa. And I sit down with my boy and I go right away into gentle hands. So we, it's a flag drop. Like you, you don't, mama's not a punching bag and we're not doing that again. And at three, I would have stopped him had he wound up again, because that's just not how this goes. Mm -hmm. And I'm right here and I got you. Mm -hmm. You're having a big feeling. I'm like, that's right. It's not a big feeling. You're mad. And so he goes through this whole thing. I'm like, let's go get you a drink of water. I got you. We're sitting there. And then this mom is sitting beside me and she's like, she decides I need some help. Yeah, helpful. Yeah. She's like, you know, in our home, we find timeouts to be actually quite effective. Yeah. And I was like, are you actually kidding me? Dang. Like, I, I'm French and I'm a little hot-blooded. So I had to do like count to 10. Mm -hmm. And then I, and I said all the egoic things in my mind that I wished I could have said out loud, but I did not. And then I simply responded to her and said, well, in our house, we parent through connection, so we don't use timeouts. Yeah. At which point she backtracked and whatever. Yeah. I packed my boys up shortly thereafter, not as a consequence, but just in the recognition that mm -hmm. our time there was done. Yep. And I got them all settled in the car. And 
the moment was over and we drove home and um i didn't replay that experience i didn't tell their dad about it over dinner i didn't like call up my girlfriend and yep yep yap at her about what mm. you know this kid did and it's so embarrassing whatever two nights later two nights he's three years old two whole nights later yeah i'm tucking him into bed and reading a story and he grabs my hand and he's so you know he had those little dimply three-year-old hands and he puts his hands on my face like this and he's very earnest and he says mommy and i said what son he said i punched you and you loved me no wow so what did my boy learn that day mm. my boy learned grace mm. my boy learned generosity my boy learned compassion mm. and my boy had a little bit of his um capacity for internal self-regulation that circuitry he had a little bit more of that grown up for him that day and here we are mm. you know he's 15 years old now he's an awesome kid like he it astonishes me how um there really isn't any discipline involved. Yeah. Like there's no, you know, at 15, I don't have to ground him. I don't have to threaten him. I don't have to do any of those things. And even at 15, you know, if he were to speak to me harshly or say something that wasn't kind, he'll circle back around at some point mm -hmm. and he'll say, mom, you know, earlier when I said, and, and I'll go, yeah. And he's like, I don't really love that. Yeah. And I'll say to him, you know what, son? I already knew when it was coming out your mouth that you wouldn't really love it. And it's not the truth of who you are. I know mm. the truth of who you are. And we all have those moments. Yeah. It's it's a wonderful dance to see how it plays out over time. That's so powerful. And, and, and I think, you know, you were in a, you were in an environment where you had some uninvited comments. Sometimes those comments come from those nearest to us. Sometimes they come oh, from the generation just divorced, gone before. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So you know exactly what I'm saying. Some of those comments, yeah, and you know, and 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 many people that are listening will also resonate with that. Where where do, where do you well do you take your confidence from your education, or or is there something deeper that you place your confidence in your approach? Mm, what a great question. Um, I had very little confidence in my parenting style mm -hmm. early on. Mm -hmm. Um. I, ha I had a gentle voice inside of me, a soulful kind of voice that spoke to me mm. through all of that. And even with that, I had a really difficult time maintaining my footing mm. for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them was that I had um, uh, chosen a father mm -hmm. for my children mm -hmm. uh, who had very, very different views on parenting. Yeah. And you can imagine what it would be like to be married to me and to have like decided the opposite views on parenting, that was not a smooth ride. And mm -hmm. I, and I, speaking from the heart, I really did not handle that well mm -hmm. um, many times. Mm -hmm. And I, I had to sit with how do I be for my children and for my family without being against their father? Yeah. Um, and that wasn't like I didn't just come up with an answer. I'm still coming up with that answer. 
Yeah. You know, and, and it's yeah. 20 years and counting later. Yeah. We've been divorced for six of those years, but I'm yeah. still working on that answer. Every day I get opportunities um, <laughs> to come up with that answer. And I think what the answer is, it's a few things. One is to know that when you have those quiet voices inside of you, uh, with hindsight always being 2020, those quiet voices inside of you are your soul speaking to you. Yeah. Listen to that. If it doesn't resonate, if it doesn't feel right, if the voice inside of you is saying it's a no-go, listen to that. Mm. The second is that every single one of us is doing our very best mm. in every single moment. Mm. So there was abuse in my home when I uh, was married previously. And I had a lot of judgment mm -hmm. about that mm -hmm. and uh, have really come to like utter acceptance of the idea that every single one of us is doing the very best that we can in every single moment, even if it looks horrific, like we're not trying at all. Yeah. Every single one of us is doing our best. And when we can have grace like that, yeah. For the yeah. people in our lives, it doesn't mean that you become a doormat. I tried that too. It didn't work out well. <laughs> it doesn't mean you become a doormat. And it does mean that the way you step in yeah. will be from a loved based uh, place and space rather than motivated by fear. Yeah. And, and and you've used you know the words grace. You've used the words surrender. They, they all point to a degree of faith where... You know, for me, faith is the belief in the unseen. You know, you had faith that in that moment, dealing with that punch on the nose, that if you deal with it in a certain way, you have faith that yeah. you will see. Mm -hmm. You know, and unfortunately, those people who were observing that day didn't get to see the two days later, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but it, but as, as Jesus says in the book, he says that blessed are those who believe without seeing. Yeah. yeah. I have, I love that. I have this um, really amazing friend who's also a life coach and, uh, and she's just this like, I mean, bottomless source of inspiration to me. Um, and she said that she, uh, she really doesn't love the phrase fake it till you make it. Sure. Because it vibrates very low. Mm -hmm. uh, and instead she uses the phrase faith it till you make it. Mm. which is there is something in that there is you yeah. know there's a whole area of research looking at the power of hope mm. and what mm. it is mm. to like if you are like hanging on by your fingernails mm. and somehow hope gets planted in your brain you can grab hold and you will hang on you will go the distance yeah and when you can have an undercurrent of faith um in the knowledge, the hope that this canon will be better, yeah. uh, or in the knowledge, the hope that this is exactly how it's all meant to be, mm. it shifts everything. And then you can be more present. You aren't, you know, if you're living in the future or, or in the past, you're in an egoic state of mind. So if you can just surrender the future and accept the past just, I say that like it's really yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Surrender the future and accept the past and just be here now, in the words of Ram Dass, 
then mm-hmm. you can be, you know, ever present to the miracles that are happening right, right in front of you. Yeah, and, and I take some inspiration from Sadhguru, the Indian yogi, and he and he says the words that um, we're always present. We don't need to try and be present. He says the question yeah. is, will you allow yourself to access it? Ah. Uh, so good. Right. You know what you and I should do? We should just sit all the day long and just like trade these fruits. <laughs> yeah. This is expansion right here. You know, I'm I'm grateful for this conversation. And you know, and that's the thing, that's the thing I was kind of alluding to earlier around the pull away from the home and the presence. And you know, in, in in the window that people are with their children, it's just like, well, there's these devices that are constant notifications, always taking taking us away you know from from that opportunity of of, of connection yeah and it is i really think uh, a challenge Mm. unexperienced by any other generation before Mm. the amount of pull there is away and you know i can really see how for men and fathers the experience of that is a unique one because mm-hmm. you're already, you already have the pull away from home and all of the things. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, you have like the, the modern day world that is mm-hmm. just kind of mm-hmm. all the time all around you like that. That is, um, that's not for the faint of heart to take on that kind of a challenge and show up for your family. Yeah. I want to share something before we move on from this idea of uh, soft parenting. I don't know if you remember back in the summer at the the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, there were pictures of Prince Louis. Mm-hmm. He is uh, Kate and William's uh, youngest son, and there was pictures of him like putting his hand over Kate's mouth, doing yeah, doing all this. <laughs> and and so the New York Post picked up on this, and they posed the question. You know, it was obviously clickbait. Is this proof the royals are presiding over an out of control? household with an ineffective loosey-goosey millennial parenting philosophy or is it normal age-appropriate behavior (laughs) it just but you could just see how like even in our culture and then you look at some of the comments like oh this is just what this is what happens when the parents allow you to do that there's something in our culture that has a perspective on on this side of thing and that that the opposite needs to be present which is some form of uh, discipline physical discipline yeah and for so long the belief has been that children should be seen and not heard like sure. let's think about the biases behind all of that seen and not heard um you need to make life easy for your your big people because they've sacrificed so much for you you know there's this real thought about Mm. us having to um have children be in a very prescribed form in order for it to be going the way that we need it to go and i mean if you think back um hundreds and hundreds of years there you know ideas about who children are and the original sin model like they're born evil and our job is to purge them of their evil mm. and we think that, you know if i say that to you now you know that's original you're, we're all like that's crackers like right. obviously right. we don't believe yeah. that and yet through epigenetics that belief lives in our dna like we've brought it forward to present day time it's concealed and it's under the surface but it's there and it pops up in these kinds of moments. I also remember with um, 
Kate, when she, one of the three children were born and they had come out and were standing in front of yep. Buckingham Palace or wherever it is that they are. Mm -hmm. I'm Canadian, so you've got to forgive me in terms of my location. <laughs> and she was holding this baby, like a newborn baby. Yeah. And somebody shouted out from the crowd, is he a good baby? And I was like, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is he a good baby? Right. Like, are there bad babies? Maybe there are babies that don't sleep. Mm -hmm. Maybe there are babies that have, you know, tummies that are rumbly and unsettled. But I'm not sure that that makes them bad or good. And again, listen to what's the bias behind yeah. the question. So there's a lot of those kinds of biases that yeah. ripple through time and carry forward and have people staunch in the belief that it requires discipline. And then you have people who say things like, well, I got spanked or smacked as a child and I'm fine. I turned mm. out okay. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's yes, about... whilst, the, whilst they're heavily addicted using numbing behaviors and, yeah. uh, and all sorts and of things. And thinking it's so... okay to hit children. You're not okay. <laughs> right. You're not okay. If you think it's okay to hit children, then, yeah. then that's a wound. That's a that's a bias. I mean, you're okay. You're wonderfully whole and complete as mm. we all are as human beings. And in that expression, there is evidence of a, an egregious wound that has yet to be healed. Mm. You are, if I pose some questions I've had from my audience. Go. My um, good friend, David, he says, how do we balance the connection with kids over the age of 10 um versus them being present on you know social media video chatting um and he also adds that you know he, he wants them to be out in nature but if you live in an unsafe neighborhood two working parents um you know there are more limitations now post pandemic uh, and the kids are just used to being online with their friends so coming back how do you how do you get that kind of connection with those older kids who have so often found that connection being on an online space yeah. And we know from the work of Gabor Mate and Gordon Newfeld that we've mm -hmm. got to hold on to our kids mm -hmm. and parents need to matter more than peers mm -hmm. because there's very significant fallout when we surrender our children to the peer vortex. Yeah. Um, I think it's a few things. I think it comes down to rituals and a way of being within our home. So my boys who are older now, my eldest is off at um, university even. Mm -hmm. Is that possible? <laughs> um, and when they were younger, and for my youngest son, to a certain extent, we have some of these um, boundaries in place to allow them to be yes. social beings who are also consumers of technology and mm -hmm. online media. Mm -hmm. Examples are there was there to this day are no devices at the table. Mm. There are also no devices at any event mm. where the idea is it's about togetherness and connected time. Yeah. So, so devices don't belong in mm. those situations. Mm. Um, in the mornings, it's people before phones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we say hello to our people first. We don't mm. hop on social and say mm. hi to those people. We say hi to our people. Mm. We look into the whites of each other's eyes because we're social beings. That's what we're meant to do. We're not meant to connect on screens. We're meant to connect in the fullness of the lived experience that is life. Yeah. So people before phones, 
We also don't have phones in our bedrooms while we sleep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do as a grown adult, mm -hmm. not my kids, not mm -hmm. when they're younger. I'm sure that my older son does now because he lives in a one room dorm <laughs> room now. Um, but the, the reason for that is we're not inviting that into the space. I was part of a, a campaign about educating our youth about social media and certain yep. kinds of trends yep. and information about five or six months ago. Yep. And they created this, um, this set where they took all of the things that our kids read, like mm -hmm. actual text from social media, and they made wallpaper out of it. They made the bed covering for the bed out of it. They made the lampshade out of it. The flooring was covered in it. I mean, mm. the, these messages were everywhere. Yeah. And the idea was that when your children yeah. are meant to be at home in their bedrooms, you know, resting and retreating and um, decompressing and all of those yep. things, yep. and they've got this around them all the time, it's not happening. So we've got to have some boundaries and some rules around all of those things for our children in order for them to become wise consumers and wise participants in the online world. Um, and we need to lead by example. Those big people, you got to watch yourself. Great point to finish that on because it's not monkey say, monkey do, is it? It's monkey see, monkey do. And, you know, I hear many people complaining about, oh, my kid won't come off his device or they're always on their games whilst they're walking, looking at their phones to school, back from school or, you know, constantly. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's I guess it's a bigger, big hypocrisy. Yeah. And, it, and it's tricky because we there's a there's a hit that we get from that, like a real flood at those happy chemicals in our brains when we get a taste of a social interaction. Mm -hmm. And if you are snacking on, on brownies and cookies and junk food all day, which is what social media is, hit yep. after hit after hit after hit, yep. readily available junk, but readily available, and it floods you with that immediate feedback versus the, the big, healthy, nutritious feed. Well, you're not sitting down at the table now to have the big, healthy, nutritious feed because you're full up on junk. And it robs us of even the, the desire to have those real human interactions. Hmm. Claire, I've got two follow-on questions both similar by two clairs uh, I, i'm sure that other people with different names listen to my podcast but they both are something similar which is around the use of consoles and games and how when they try and put boundaries in for getting their kids to come off they're they're met with a, a presence of some form of anger of frustration yeah. the techno tantrum yeah what's the root of that and how does how does one uh, support your child through that i guess yeah. So the techno tantrum, I didn't come up with that phrase. That's my good friend, Dr. Christy Goodwin in uh, Australia. And there's a few reasons behind that. The first thing is gaming in particular is an incredibly activating and stimulating kind of thing. You're in constant scan and search mode. You're mm -hmm. not, it's, this is not a focused thing. You are scanning and searching. That's, that's what makes those games sticky to mm. the growing mind mm. um, and so you're very stimulated and you are in a world where you're calling the shots hmm. you're the the um ruling the roost 
You're the king of it all. You are in charge. Mm. And, and you try on as a child with a very impressionable mind. You try on for size what it is to call all the shots, not have to listen to anyone. And you yeah. get to decide because you, yeah. you really are the king of the game. Yeah. And then your parent comes and knocks on your door and says, time's up. And you're like, hell no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know, but I'm the king right now. <laughs> right. And also, I'm like, this is very stimulated. Sure. So I'm not really in a headspace to take guidance from someone mm. or to be regulated. Mm. Enter the techno tantrum. Now, I don't think that that means that you then don't have your children come off their devices. Yeah. It's an opportunity for adaptation. And also, there are ways that you can ease into that with grace. Mm. So you can let them know the 10-minute warning, the five-minute warning. You can understand that there are uh, checkpoints in those games where they have to like get to a certain level or they lose all their progress. Mm -hmm. So at the five-minute warning, you can say, how close are you to the next checkpoint? <laughs> And if they're, you know, 10 minutes away, then like be reasonable, give them another five minutes and they can get there. If they're an hour away, then you can say, oh, sorry, love, it's going to have to be a no for today. And you got five minutes. You can call it right now yeah. or you can call it in five minutes, but you only have five minutes left. Yeah. 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 And it's one thing to kind of speak into the limitations and, you know, no one really wants to be told of all the limitations and why you shouldn't do things so you know my, my son we we have this playful conversation where i'm like you're not getting a phone till like you're 30 like <laughs> in a similar way like my daughter's not getting married like until you it's it's that thing with him is like he's like can i can i have a phone when i get to secondary school I was like, i'm not i'm not so sure dude like so we have a playful conversation but i kind of remind him like because he feels like he's missing out he feels like he's missing out in some way i mean he's only 10 but, you know, friends have it. And, and there's there's something quite deep rooted around peer pressure. Oh, and, yeah. and and I think parents feel parent pressure, you know, and, I, and I'm I'm too stubborn for that. I'm not going to fall into uh -huh. any of that. I, I've, I, I'm kind of values principle based and I'm OK with that. And I'm OK being wrong. If it comes out in 10 years time, I've done the wrong thing. Okay. Like I did the best I could with what I knew at the time. Like I'm OK. Right. Yeah. I'm a piece of that. But one of the things that I've really tried to have a conversation with my son, Corey, about is that, OK, here's a block of time that you would be doing this single activity. And if you were doing that every day for a period of time, that would be the only thing you will have achieved. And I said, but let me just let me just play back to your life a little bit. You're the captain of your football team. You've learned a new skill in playing guitar. Look at all these things that you've built with your Lego, you know. And I helped him try to see how he's used it, used that time in other ways, in ways that have given him new skills, new capabilities, new perspectives. Um, and it was weird because he's like 10 years old, but he literally sat there as like, all right, Dad, I, I see what you're saying. <laughs> he's like, all right, I get it. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. You must have had such a beautiful connection with him headed into that kind of a discussion to not be met with a defense, but rather an openness to hear what dad had to say about all that. Yeah. I mean, we try. 
you know, we try. There, there are there are moments when I and he are too stubborn for our own good. You know, we're probably that mirror reflection. <laughs> and I that not... old thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's, how old's Ryan Hartley right now? He's oh, he's twelve again. But um, you know, it's yeah, it's that commitment to 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 kind of journey along with him. Um, but yeah, I want to be super conscious and and respectful of your time. Um, I have a word here, always better than yesterday. It's called heart print, and and. What I mean by that word heart print is that I believe that when we love people, when we connect and serve and help people, we will leave a heart print, almost like a fingerprint, that in some way we've left them better. Mm. Um, and then they will go on and and that ripple effect will be endless. You know, if we meet 8,000 people in a lifetime or however many it is, 80,000 people, then the heart print of my children is going to be, you know, 160,000 interactions. That That's kind of what inspires me, right? That's just first-generational heart print. You're putting out some incredible things. You've helped some, uh, some many, many, many people over your career, raising, you know, two wonderful human beings. What do you think your heart print will be? Hmm. I really love this question. I'm not sure. And I wonder if it will be something along the lines of that the people I I have the privilege of, the honor of walking alongside, whether it be professional or personal, mm-hmm. that in my presence, they may have felt that flicker of possibility. (laughs) The idea that it doesn't have to be this way Mm. if we don't want it to be this way, that that we are infinitely capable, our potential is infinite, and the only limit is the mind. And even if there was just like a little sparkle, a sprinkle of hope that landed in their hearts, I I would love for that to be the heart print. That makes me very emotional to think about that. What a wonderful, wonderful question. Thank you. Yeah, I think heart print is uh, in, in some way very much linked to the possibilities that we create for other people and and the fact that you use that word made me smile because it it is about that it's the thing that that inspires us to to continue to to have hope and faith and belief that that's what is possible when we when we have these conversations that in some way someone's going to listen to something you've said today and something new it's like a little offshoot Mm-hmm. In some way, something new is going to be possible as a result of this conversation, just this one conversation, uh, let alone all the other interactions that you've had with people. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask you this question earlier, and I wonder what your view is and your opinion is. What do you believe makes a good father? Mm. I think that my my idea about that has like changed so much over time. Mm-hmm. And what I would say about my idea of that right now 
is that a man who is brave enough to crack the vault open, this vault of self, and really look long and hard at what's under the surface hmm. to bring that up to the light of day and to heal themselves so that their children don't have to grow up and recover from their own childhood. That's, I mean, hmm. if if all of the fathers in the land did that one thing, Mm -hmm. in a single generation they would change the planet the power of that would be astronomical safer families safer communities safer workplaces safer streets imagine yeah i'm with you i'm with you my friend thank you so much for your time thank you so much for coming back on the show again i've absolutely loved our, our second conversation and um yeah, what, what's uh, what's coming up for you in 2023? What are you inspired to put out into the world? Um, I'm not sure. And yeah. I really, really think this idea of community and village, mm -hmm. which doesn't really naturally exist in our lives these days compared mm -hmm. to generations mm -hmm. past, that it is time to awaken the village and to come together collectively in whatever ways are afforded to us by yeah. modern day technology and otherwise. Yeah. And within all of that, I uh, plan to continue to sing from the rooftops, the highest peak of the highest mountain yeah. about what it is to grow yourself so that you can grow your children. Yeah. Um, my husband and I are releasing the Parenting 2.0 course in 2023, yeah. uh, which is a culmination of both of our parenting journeys. He's also in the same field as I am and mm -hmm. a wonderful speaker and creator himself. Um, both of our parenting journeys, personal growth journeys, and also our combined 50 years expertise. He's way older than I am. <laughs> in the child development world and brought it together in this one course which is really just you know an expression of the heart and the soul and a real um uh i think exciting thing to offer forward uh, for people who are on the journey and on the path and wanting to stay on it so we'll see we'll see what what comes of it all yeah you're incredibly humble and uh you know it, for anyone that sees any of the content that you're putting out in the world the the heart print you are leaving is a crater sized impact on this planet my friend it is the world is infinitely better because of the the uh the heart work that you bring to this world so i just want to say thank you and thank you for being here again and we'll be honored if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self you are wonderfully whole and complete wherever it is that you find yourself right now it was meant to be exactly this way and the next stop along the journey is already written in the stars and you're gonna love it <laughs> my friend much love thank you much love i shine it all back thank you Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. 
If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.